Um, my name is Nelson Jenkins. I'm the youth pastor. They don't normally let me on stage, but they made a mistake, and you, got to, you suffer. So um, we're going to be talking about Acts, and last week you got a kind of over, like a beginning of Acts, and we're going to be talking about the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say, and looking at the life of Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark, and kind of how we can all kind of relate to aspects of their life. And I want to start out by, first of all, a disclaimer that any stories I tell, I've run by my wife first. And if she just gives me a deadpan look like she normally does, I know it's still probably funny. It's just that she doesn't think so. And, but if she chuckles or smirks at all, then I know I've got to write it down and I've got to use it. So some of the stories in here, I think she actually did um, make a mistake and smile. So there was a granddaughter who um, went to her grandmother and said, How old are you, Grandma? And the grandmother said, uh, old enough to know that I'm not going to tell you, and Grandpa knows, and that's all that matters. So the gran- granddaughter kept persisting, but then she ran off. She just went up into uh, upstairs, and a few minutes later, the grandmother goes, it's kind of quiet. I'm, I'm a little worried. So the grandmother goes up to her bedroom, and she sees her granddaughter on Grandma's bed, dumping out Grandma's purse. And she pulls out her license. She goes, Grandma, I know how old you are now. And Grandma goes, great. She goes, yeah, you're 73. Grandma goes, yep, that's, I'm 73. And she goes, but it says that you're going to expire in two years. <laughs> and then the grandmother explains, no, that's just a license. And then it goes on and says, and it also says that you've got an F in sex. <laughs> so um, so I, I'll give you a second there. But, um, um, but that idea of, of what we expect and what really happens are sometimes totally different things. And when we look at Acts, we're going to look at two giants of the faith, and we're going to see something that we didn't expect coming. And we're going to be looking, starting with Acts chapter 8. If you've got your, your Bibles in front of you, or you can have your Bible or, or take one of the Bibles from the chairs in front of you, uh, you'll see the page numbers up there that you can go to. Be real simple. We're just going to be kind of following through the book of Acts real quick, give you a background of Paul. His name starts out as Saul. He starts out as Saul, and not the, the Saul from the Old Testament, the king of Saul, but Saul the New Testament. And it starts out, he's a, a persecutor of the followers of Christ. Acts 8, 1 through 3. Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. Stephen was a prophet who went out, and he, he, was, he went out, and he shared the good news of Christ. And it made people so mad that they ended up stoning him and killing him. And it says that Stephen was there approving of it. And then it goes on and says, A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. So we see that Saul was on a mission. And his mission was to destroy anyone who was following after the way or following after Christ. And so he was gung-ho, ready to, to go do that. And then we go to Acts 9, verses 1 through 6. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. 
He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now get up and go to the city, and you will be told what you must do. So here is Saul. He's going out, and his mission is to go down this road to find Christians, to bring them back. Basically, he wanted them dead. He disagreed with them, and he wanted them dead. And as he's going down this road, all of a sudden, God gets a hold of him, shines this bright light, blinds him, and he says, why are you doing this? Why are you persecuting me? And so they have this conversation, and this is the point of Saul's conversion, where he comes to the point of realizing who Christ is. And he becomes one of the very people that he's been killing or, or having killed. And so, so Saul all of a sudden becomes one of the Christians, and it goes on, and we're in Acts 9, 26 to 28. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers. I want to stop there for a second. Picture this. He was well known, not in a good way, among the Christian community. Here's a guy that every time his name came up, people said, he is trying to kill us. He's trying to kill anyone who follows after Christ. So now he's coming in, and he wants to kind of meet with the believers. And you can imagine they're saying, ah, we'd rather not. You know, we like living. And, you know, and so he, his reputation goes before him. And so he tried to meet with the believers, but they were afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told him how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So Saul stayed with the apostles and went around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. So we look at it, and we see that Barnabas comes up, and he's got the reputation among the believers and among the apostles to where he can say, hey, this man who used to go out and have you killed is now truly one of us. And so he's got it to where they, they respect Barnabas. So Barnabas comes alongside Paul. Barnabas' name literally means son of encouragement. He was an encourager. Now, there are, there are a number of people that I can look around and say, I know when I look at you that that is you. You're an encourager. People are encouraged when they're around you. And they're lifted up. And that's what Barnabas was. Barnabas came alongside Paul, and he actually made it to where Paul could end up doing the things that he did. And we talk about the missionary journeys that, that go on in Acts. There were three major missionary journeys that Paul went on. And when he went, he'd go out, and he would basically go out and preach the word of God. And people would come to Christ, and they would start churches in these cities. And the great thing about the New Testament, as you look at it, Paul wrote about half of the New Testament— and, and most of the books that he wrote were books that were written to people that he had visited. When you look at Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, these are churches that when he went out with Barnabas and Silas and others, he went out, started these churches, and he came back and he'd hear how things were going in the church. Sometimes they were bad. He'd write a letter. Galatians is a letter written to the people of Galatia saying, hey, I'm hearing these things about what you're doing. I'm hearing that you're following after other gods. You're doing things that aren't what God wants. So he writes this, Galatians is a book written to them. And he goes on in, in Corinth, and you look at it, and throughout 
throughout the New Testament, when you look at the, the books that Paul wrote, he's writing to these people that he had visited, and, and basically his children, because he, he went to them and said, here, this is who Christ is. They come to Christ, and so he's writing these letters, sometimes to encourage them, sometimes to admonish them and say, hey, get your act together. So that's what the, the New Testament, when Paul's writing through Acts, all these p- places that he visits, he's actually um, visiting these places, and then the New Testament, a lot of it is him kind of corresponding with them. And so we think about Barnabas being the, Paul, the man of encouragement, just the fact that he would be the one who would make it so that Paul could actually do the things that he did. Think about in your life for a second. Who is the person that comes to mind when you think of somebody who, who has encouraged me? Someone who has really encouraged me. I remember there was a man, Dennis, when I was in high school. When I was in middle school, I was a holy terror, but I would take off the holy part. I was just a terror. And I mean, I, I, I literally think that there are two or three teachers who are no longer teaching because of me. I know of one for sure. I'll tell you a story later. The teens know this because I shared it. But Mr. May basically quit the, the year after um, she taught me. It was, no one, everybody else was fine, but it was just, it was me that I was, I was, I, I was a torture to her. And, but I went through middle school and I just, was awful. And, and then I went through into high school, and I moved out. My parents were divorced, and I moved out with my father in Indiana. And I got out there, and I started to realize I need to grow up slowly. I still haven't got there yet, but we're working on that. Um, but I got to my sophomore, junior year in high school, and, and this man named Dennis came up to me, and he said, Nelson, God is going to do some great things in your life. And I want to tell you something. That was probably the first time I had ever heard something like that said to me. Apart from my mother, we know that mothers have to say that. It's an obligation. Yeah, you're going to be great, little, you know, and, and we move on. But this was the first person who didn't have to say that. It wasn't in the job description to say that. Who would come up and say that some encouraging words like that. And it stuck with me to the point where I don't even know to this day if he realizes how that changed my life. Because I looked at it and I said, wow, you know what? That is something else. And it just, those small words changed my life to where I said, I want to make a difference. I want to make a difference in people's lives. And so I just said, God, if I can be that to somebody. And in my youth group, when I was out in Indiana, the youth group I was at was just incredible. Had a lot of uh, youth pastors, and youth, my youth pastor, my youth leaders, just came alongside me, and they were the encouragers. They were the Barnabases in my life. And I said, God, if I can be that to even just one person, I would love to do that. So God made it to where I had no other abilities at all except talking to teens because I still relate to them. And so that's what I've been doing since 1987. And I keep saying, God, eventually you're going to have to give me another job because you know, I'm, I'm hitting 90 here. You know, it's, it's going to be close. But the, those people that encourage us in our lives, even in times when maybe they didn't even realize it, that's what Barnabas was. He was just, it was just natural. It just flowed out of him. And then we go to Acts 13, 2 through 5. And Barnabas and Saul are going to be sent out. And it says, One day, as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Dedicate Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after much fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. So Barnabas and Saul went out by the Holy Spirit. They went down to the seaport of Seleucia and then sailed to the island of Cyprus. 
there in the town of Salamis, they went to the Jewish synagogues and preached the word of God. John Mark went with them as their assistant. That's the key phrase there. John Mark joins them on this trip. So they're going out and they're starting the the missionary journey where they're going to go out and they're going to start preaching the word to these churches. So it's Barnabas, it's Saul, and maybe a few others, and John Mark is with them. And we see in Acts 13.9 where Saul now changes his name to Paul. For whatever reason, we're not exactly sure why that is. There's a lot of speculation. And I just want to say that I don't know from reading the scripture why exactly he changed his name, but his name changed from Saul to Paul. So from then on, throughout Acts and on, it's Paul. It's the same person. It's kind of confusing, but it's the same person. Saul, up to this point, is now Paul. So when we talk about Paul, we're talking about the same person here. So Paul in Acts 13 is going on Acts 13, 13. Paul and his companions then left Paphos by ship for Pamphylia. Love how they put those names in there. Landing at the port town of Perga, there John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. Again, there's a lot of speculation of why John Mark left. It may have been, John Mark and Barnabas were cousins. You've got to understand that. that that's that's um, a little bit of what's going on here. Barnabas was the leader, really, of, of, of the, the journeys that they're going on to start. He's the one that came alongside Saul, Paul, and made it so that Paul could go out and preach because people said, okay, we trust him. So Barnabas ends, was starting out as a leader. Paul ends up taking over. Some people say it's because of the way that Paul took over that John Mark wasn't comfortable with. Some say he was homesick. We're not sure, again, why that is, but we do know that he left, and he went back. And it wasn't something that Paul was excited about. And we're going to see that in a second here. So then we go down, and they go on. They continue on with their missionary journey, and and then they come back. And they're back, and and we get to Acts 15, in verse 36. After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark, but Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Paul took Silas, and he left. The believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. So here we have two stalwarts of the faith. And we talked about it in the very beginning when we, when we talked about the granddaughter. I mean, the, the idea that you weren't expecting that to come. And here, we weren't expecting these two men of faith to sit there and, and argue over something to the point where they would split up and they go their separate ways. But for whatever reason, Paul said, hey, I want to go back and visit these churches that, that we, had, we had already um, kind of started out there. And Barnabas goes, great, let's do it, but let's bring John Mark. Paul goes, no. Paul was a man, Barnabas was the encourager. Paul was the man who had a mission. His mission was, we're going. We're going to go out there and we're going to share this good news. And he was on a mission. And John Mark was going to mess that mission up. Because for whatever reason, John Mark left. And, it, and obviously there were some problems that went on between him and Paul. So when Barnabas says, hey, I want to bring John Mark along, Paul says, I'm not doing it. I'm not going with John Mark. 
And it just kind of boggles your mind to think, here they are going out sharing the love of Christ and, and God's grace, but yet there's a conflict that they can't resolve. But I love how you look at it and you say, what did God do with that? What did God end up doing with that conflict? He made it to where now the gospel is being spread twice as fast. Because instead of Barnabas, John, Mark, and and Paul going out to those cities, to those countries, Barnabas and John, Mark go one way. Paul takes Silas and they go a different way. So now they've got it to where they're, they're, they're doing it twice as many places as they could have done before. So God took something that wasn't good and he made it great, which is incredible to think about because he does that in all of our lives. He can do great things in our lives even though we're not great through his power. And he did that here where he sent out two different teams to go out. And I want to just focus just for, for a few minutes here as we close up um, when we think about that disagreement, think about in your life, and, and um, last night, you can go to the people that were here last night and say, hey, we actually got the notes that were in the worship folder because they didn't. They didn't get any of them. So you can, if they ask questions, you can sit there and say, here's you know, the answer to number one. So you can feel like you're back in junior high and that's what you did. You know, so so um, we think about disagreements. If you have a spouse, you either have had disagreements or you just got married this morning. Okay. <laughs> And you, you probably still had disagreements, but, um, but you're going to have disagreements. We know that. If you have kids, you're going to have disagreements. If you live, you're going to have disagreements. We know that. But what can we learn even from, from this, this situation? The first thing is God can still use people who do things differently than I would. This is hard for me sometimes to understand because we all have a way of doing things. I'm over Barnabas. My first church I was at, the pastor would come out and say, I'm just a Paul. I just do it that way, and you have to deal with it. And I'm more of a Barnabas. So honestly, it took me a couple years to get over the fact that I didn't like Paul. Because this guy would just say, I'm Paul, deal with it. And I was like, wow, I think you're Saul. I mean, so, but it was just, he just said, that's the way I am. And he, he would do things a certain way. And the great thing is, is that God still used him and is still using him at the same church, and that was 20-something years ago. But it's just awesome to, to look at and say that God can use people who differ from me. Dr. Bob Cook made this quote, and if you get nothing else, write this down, because this is an awesome quote, unless it's in there already. He says, God reserves the right to use people who disagree with me. God reserves the right to use people who disagree with me. That's hard sometimes to think about because we kind of sometimes think that if I'm following after God, then I'm doing it the right way. And if that person is doing it different, someday they'll see the light and they'll come around. Until then, I'll just somehow, you know, deal with them the best I can. But God says, hey, you know what? I'm going to use people the way I want to use them. And, and God, a lot of times, when you look at Paul, when Saul, Paul, ends up turning his life to Christ. The cool thing was, God did not all of a sudden make this man a meek man. He didn't make him like, all right, now he's going to be quiet and he's going to go around and, you know, and be a monk for 45 years. He still had the same personality. He was gung-ho charge. But God had just changed his focus. A lot of times, 
that's what it is with us is God says, hey, I'm gonna use you. Your personality may be an extrovert. I'm not, I'm more of an introvert. Um, so, so I've been told that my wife wishes I were. Um, but you can be an introvert, an extrovert. When, when I was a youth leader at my last church, we had a ton of leaders. And I always wanted to make sure that I had leaders who were different than me, which was not hard because most of them were normal. And, but I wanted to have leaders who were different than me. I wanted to have introverts because I knew there were kids in the youth group who I would scare off in a second. I'd walk up and they would just, ah! and they'd just take off. I said, I need to find someone who isn't scary who can come alongside, who's quiet. And so I would have, and I, I actually had a discussion with one of the leaders of the church saying, why is that guy a leader? And I said, I can't explain it. I'd rather have you see it. And so I actually had him, and it was a couple weeks later, come out to our YouTube and watch this guy sitting down with a group of six or seven kids just having a discussion. And I said, that's why they're a leader. Because they're doing something that I could probably do, but they do it better than I do. And I could sit there and say, everyone has to be an extrovert. Everyone has to do this, and they have to do that. But then, you know what? I'd be missing a lot of people that God says, I want to reach those people too. And I've got to be humble enough to sit there and say, I may not be able to do that. Shocking as that may sound to myself. So so first thing is, God reserves the right to use people who disagree with me. Second is, there is usually one issue with two or more different viewpoints. When, I'm, when we're talking about these issues, understand, I'm not talking about an issue that's clear in Scripture. I'm not talking about salvation. And I'm, I'm talking about issues where you can't go to Scripture and sit there and say, I'm right, you're wrong. You can try because there's a husband and wife who are arguing because every morning they argue over who's going to get up and make the coffee. Every morning, that's why my wife and I don't drink coffee, because save an argument. Every morning they, they say, why do I have to get up and make the coffee? And the wife said, it's in the Bible. <laughs> and the husband said, what are you talking about? Just go toward the end of the Bible. It says, he brews. And <laughs> argument was done. And so when you, we, a lot of times we'll take something that we want to make a point and we want to make it to where God agrees with us. So we'll take a Hebrews or we'll take a passage and we'll just rip it out of context to make it to where we say, look, I'm right. This isn't the case here. It's a viewpoint where Barnabas and Paul both had valid points. Paul said, I'm on a mission and John Mark's going to slow us down. Barnabas said, I want to come alongside and encourage this man. And when we think about John Mark, understand something else that's pretty cool. You go to the New Testament, you've got four Gospels that start out the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Guess who wrote the book of Mark? John Mark. This man that Paul said, I don't want him on this mission, wrote one of the Gospels in the New Testament. So it's kind of cool that we look at it and we say, here's a man that, yes, for whatever reason, turned his back and ran but God said, I'm still going to use you in great ways. I'm going to use you to write a book of the Bible. And we're going to look at how um, Paul and, and John Mark sort of, we kind of see how they 
they, they kind of mended things a little bit here. But number three is, God can use a person, even with their baggage and issues, to serve him. God used, used John Mark to serve him. And he's a God of second chances. Amen to that? I'm, thank God for that. Because if, if he weren't, I'd be in real trouble. And thank God he's a, he's a God of fourth, fifth, sixth, infinity, and beyond chances for me. Because, man, I've, I've messed up. And just when I think I've got it together, my wife tells me that I don't. And I realize, okay. But God's a God of second chances. And then the last one is sometimes in personal disagreements, we need to agree to disagree and allow God to do great things. Because there are going to be times when we're going to have a disagreement and we're not going to end up agreeing. Your spouse is not going to end up saying, honey, you were right and I was wrong. Because if that happens, you're probably going to faint anyway and you wouldn't have heard it. So, but a lot of times there are going to be disagreements where you're not going to come out and say, hey, it's black and white. It's obvious that I was wrong. A lot of times it's obvious that they were wrong and they just haven't seen it yet. But when we look at it, we say, there are going to be times when we just have to agree to disagree. If you can't go to Scripture and, and say clearly, this is why it's wrong, then you may have to look and say, you know what? You're doing things one way. I'm doing things a different way. And we have to say, you know what? That's okay. God's going to use that. And then Barnabas, when we think about Barnabas, Barnabas, a patient man, willing to walk alongside. Remember, he walked alongside Saul brought him to the apostles. He walks alongside John Mark, encourages him, keeps him going to where John Mark comes and becomes another one of the pillars when we think about writing the gospel of Mark. And then if you, if you do not realize that you'll be, if you don't realize that God's the one growing a person in their walk, you're going to struggle. If you're a person who's like, a Paul, and it's like, charge, let's go, and someone else isn't quite as fast, you're going to get mad. You're going to get irritated. And you're going to say, what's wrong with that person? Why aren't they up here with me? And that person back here can say, um, help? <laughs> you know, and we, we got to realize that there are times when we got to realize that God uses people in different ways and at different speeds to get his work done. If I'm charging 100 miles an hour, I may be passing a lot of people that need to hear God's word. And it may be a Barnabas who comes along behind a John Mark and says, here, let me come around alongside you. Who's right? Who's wrong? I don't know. But I know that God used both of these men in great ways, all three of these men. Then we look at, in, in closing here, 2 Timothy 4.11. It's kind of a cool verse as we close up here. He, Paul is writing, he's writing to Timothy because Timothy was with, with Paul, and, and Timothy ends up being, becoming a pastor of this church. And so, so Paul is writing to Timothy, and this is what he, he says here in, in 2 Timothy 4.11. Paul calls for John Mark because he says he'll be helpful to me in ministry. We don't know, unfortunately, how it came about to where they, they mended some of the differences. But Paul says, hey, bring John Mark along. He'll be helpful. And in like two or three other places, you see in Philemon and other places where Paul says, hey, John Mark sends greetings. 
I'm assuming that John Mark would be with Paul if he's saying that. Otherwise, it's kind of like, hey, I'm just thinking that maybe he's going to be sending you, you know. So John Mark and Paul are, are, are working together. And that's the great thing about it is that there's a reconciliation there. And there'll be times when people are going to do things that, are, that hurt us. John Mark obviously did something that hurt Paul. But you look at Paul's writings. The big thing that Paul writes about all the time is grace. He always writes about grace. And we see how Paul ends up living that out to where he comes alongside and he, and he works with John Mark. We don't know what happened in between there, but the great thing is that, that he did that and encouraged them. And I just want to encourage us if we think about it, there may be times when you're a John Mark. When you've done things, with you, you know you've messed up. And you may say, how in the world could God ever use me? And God says, man, I can use you in ways you wouldn't even imagine. Probably you're not going to write a book of the Bible, because if you do, um, I'd be a little worried right now. But, but that's what John Mark did. And God says, I can use you. I am a God of second chances. Or you, maybe you're a Paul, and you say, I got a mission, and I'm going. God says, I can use that. I can use that to do great things that we see Paul do throughout the New Testament. Or maybe you're a Barnabas. Maybe you're not as fast as Paul. But you come alongside and you encourage people along the way. And you say, hey, you know what? Even in disagreements, we can get along. Think about the disagreement. Let me close with this because um, got to make sure I get it in. So there's a couple who've been married for 50 years. And they go out for their anniversary and they're driving back. And you know, the disagreements, you always have the disagreements and, and you kind of like back and forth. Driving back and all of a sudden the wife looks over and sees a tear in, the, in her husband's eye. And she goes, you've got a tear in your eye. Is that because we've been married for 50 years? And he goes, no. He said, I remember the day that I married you that your father said, if I didn't marry you, he'd throw me in prison for 50 years. And he goes, tomorrow, I would have been a free man. <laughs> so, so, had to throw it in there. So, but we, we think about disagreements. Again, I'll give you a second. But um, we think about disagreements in our life. We're going to have arguments and disagreements. Don't allow that to get in the way of great things that God wants to do in your life. He can use a John Mark. He can use a Paul. He can use a Barnabas. He can use you, and he can use me. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you so much for dying on the cross so that we can be a new, new people. I pray that you just help us as we think about the great things that you've done in our life, the, the life, lives that you changed, and we just thank you for the lives of Paul, of Barnabas, of John Mark. Three very different men, three very different personalities, but God, you use them to do awesome and incredible things. You use them to work together to reach more people than they could reach alone. And Lord, we just thank you so much for that picture of grace that we see in your word, because that represents the incredible grace that you have for each one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.